Welcome to House Mugen, Episode 7. This one... This one's going to be a little different for me. Because... There's a point that I want to get to in this discussion that I think is very, very important. What I want to do with this is... Basically, I want to attempt to do in this conversation what I do with my favorite thing, which is uh, martial arts. I love martial arts. Um, I'm an avid swordsman. I love swords. I've probably loved martial arts and combat ever since I was a little kid. Uh, I grew up watching G.I. Joe. <laughs> Uh, my favorite cartoon when I was a little kid, and this is dating myself, but uh, uh, Mighty Mouse, loved Mighty Mouse. Uh, I remember watching that when I was four, you know, and it was just, it was the coolest thing. I loved, I loved his little, little catchphrase, like, here I come to save the day, you know, uh, I loved it. I've always loved heroes, and uh, martial arts and combat and particularly technical striking, which uh, before COVID, I used to, I used to kind of be a self-defense consultant is kind of what I coined myself as. So, you know, I would, you know, I was basically just a, a very, very cheap personal trainer. I would come across people who were struggling with, you know, self-defense or, or technical striking issues, getting their timing down, you know, getting their footwork together, getting their their feet defensive sound, and uh, I was the guy that they trained with. And I wasn't certified or nothing like that. I was just a guy that liked martial arts and didn't mind, uh, didn't have a problem with people sparring with him. So it was just kind of one of those things where I, I enjoyed it that much that I just wanted to be around people that did. So I hung out in gyms and and different, you know, martial arts establishments trying to, you know, find people to to train with when I was younger and then, you know, now that I'm older and in the past couple of years, I just come across people who, you know, hey man, I always wanted to learn some boxing but, you know, I go to the gym and these guys don't, you know, wanna wanna teach me anything, they just wanna beat me up. It's like, you know, well, I'm a guy. So this is kind of what I'm doing with that. There's, there's, a, there's an aspect to striking that you get, you know, there, there's like a progression in martial arts uh, where, you know, in the beginning you start out, you know, with, with, with the novice level, you know, you're a noob, you get in there and uh, you, got, you got all white on, you know, and and uh, you know you you don't know your, your left from your right, and sometimes your your balance is a little off, or probably a lot off. Or if you're one of those people who's never, you know, threw a punch a day in your life, you know, you're you're probably going to be uh, in a in a in an anxious state if you ever you know get yourself on a mat, you know, even if it's uh, of your own choosing. Because it's outside of your comfort zone, if you if you've never done it before, you know. Me, I was a I was an angry kid growing up because of the, 
you know, the trauma that I experienced and child molestation and dealing with mental and physical abuse, you know, combat and martial arts kind of came quick to me. Uh, you know, it's, I, I tell people this and people always kind of pull back from me like, dang, what do you mean by that? You know, when I say this, but being an anger kid, I can attest to this. The worst thing that you can do in, in many cases is, uh, is give someone who's always been powerless a taste of power. And I, I told my stepdad this recently, you know, when uh, me and him were talking about this, about how uh, the very first time when uh, my stepdad came into uh, my family's life, you know, we met my mom and stuff like that, after all the stuff we had been through, one of the very first things that he did was he taught me a little bit of karate. And I told him, like, you know, he never, he never knew it then, but that one small act bolstered my confidence because before that day, I did not know that I could actually defend myself. You know, I was, I was a child and I was a very naive child. And as a, as a child, I always believed that it was an adult's responsibility, that it was all, all adults' responsibility to take care of me, to protect me and to look out for me. I just assumed that growing up as a child and found out very quickly and 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 in uh, in the worst of ways that that is not 100% the case. And th that's what happens in life is that sometimes we we think that there is a that there's just a cookie cutter format to life that that there's a way that things are supposed to go. And when you listen to people and how they talk, a lot of times people speak in this kind of entitled way that there's just a system to things, that there's just a way that they're supposed to go. But if you ever really look into, you know, the top philosophies of the world, the top ideas of the world, the top organizations like the military, you know, or, or most, you know, um, important things like economics, or, uh, or, or or science, they, they, these these things all even in banking, these guys always account for change. Because see, in the world, you have to be fluid, you have to be able to adapt. You, know, you, you see, I can I can use a million examples of these, but a perfect example is, is, is Blockbuster. You know, Blockbuster was you know everybody remembers Blockbuster. You know, if you're old enough to remember Blockbuster. You know, they, they, they had the same format for a long time. Go in, you rent your movies. I mean, we used to love it as kids. We used to, it was the coolest thing. You get out of school, you, you know, you get home, your parents, you know, and they say it was movie night. That meant that we got to go, you know, to, to Blockbuster, hop down there, get our popcorns, and get our snacks all in one spot, you know. And uh, we argued. I mean, we were, I, I was the oldest of, what, seven kids. So, I mean... <laughs> For us, picking movies was like a competition, you know, to see who was who's gonna pick a decent movie. And then, of course, if you picked a crap movie, you weren't allowed to to, <laughs> to pick movies the next time around. Sometimes you, you if you picked <laughs> too many bad movies in a row, like my baby brother uh, Nick was known for doing, you would get banned from picking movies for a while. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it was good times. But I mean, of course, you know, red boxes started popping up, and then. 
all kinds of other ways to watch movies and stream and the internet and stuff. You know, the, uh, the brainchild of the millennials did what it does best, which is it innovated and changed things. And before you know it, people were not paying for Jack related to videos and still don't, you know, because of uh, all these streaming services on the internet. Innovation. You don't catch up. You don't keep up. You die. You know, see, the thing about change is it changes relentless. And nothing on this earth can stand against something that's relentless. It just can't. Most things don't want to. You know, like the honey badger. You know, the honey badger is probably one of the most feared uh, uh, creatures out in the wilderness. I mean, it, it chases off things like three to four times its size because it has a reputation. It has a, has a solid, unbeatable, instinctual, meaning that other animals instinctively know to look for this little bastard and when they see it, to avoid it. Even other predators, you know, the honey badger, because it has a reputation for being a relentless uh, attacking machine. It will not stop. It will not relent at all. Change is like that. Can't, can't stop change. So to get to the point of all of this, the very crest of it, I just wanted to give a few little teeny tiny examples to the intro of this. But um, I know it's been a while since I've, I've made uh, a podcast. COVID has just kind of been a monster. It's been a monster to a lot of people. And uh, with the whole school thing and me deciding where I was going to send my daughter to school and with all the COVID restrictions and this insane shot, which I will say is an insane shot, this ridiculous jab and all this other nonsense that I've been following for years. <coughs> I've always struggled to make sure that when I, when I started this, this podcast, I didn't want it to be uh, super politically driven. I, 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 I don't want it to be 100% about politics because politics has a way of making conversations become stagnant because people get so politically charged on any either one side of the argument that they that they do literally what I'm about to to speak against see um I came back to San Antonio. San Antonio is a place that has a lot of, a lot of bad memories for me and a lot of good memories for me because San Antonio, when I, growing up as a kid, was one of the very first cities that I ever felt safe in. Yeah, I grew up in South Dallas, particularly South Oak Cliff back in the day. You know, early, you know, like you know, early '90s, early early '90s. But I was born like 1983. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was a rough time. It was a rough area. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff that I still remember to this day. And then I grew up and, and my family and particularly the relationship between me and my mother always seemed to be kind of strained. I didn't really exactly know why that was. Until this day, I still don't know exactly why that is but it's just it's a, it's a combination of, of 
of me being young and her being young. See, when you, you don't realize that growing up, your parents are growing up too. This is something that I saw that like on a Facebook post and it kind of hit me like a brick because it's true. You know, I'm living it right now with my daughter that's, that's eight years old. You know, I'm constantly learning all the time how to be a better parent to her. And uh, some days I, I do really, really fucking awesome. And some days I don't. You know, when I first got Lily, it was not not super easy. I was not expecting her at all. And I mean, and, and it sounds like I'm, I'm rabbit trailing a little bit, but I'm, this goes to my point and the reason why I brought up my mother. Because, to be honest, the relationship with my mom and me coming back to San Antonio helped me to realize something. Something that I had kind of forgotten. That I had realized a long time ago. And uh, this is going to kind of go to the edge of my knowledge on a lot of this stuff. So that's the reason why I'm trying to start it out as simple as I can. By relating to my family. So, back to my mom. The relationship with my mom... As far back as I can, as far back as I can remember, was always has always been strained. We've never really been super close or super tight, and I'm her firstborn child. But I mean, we just never were. I was always closer to my dad. So, us not really being super close now is not really a surprise to me. And uh, coming back to San Antonio this time around with my daughter that I'm raising pretty much by myself, with the help of a few friends here and there and stuff like that. You know, it was really, really cool for my little girl to get to see, you know, my mom, who she's seen before and stuff, but, you know, her siblings and her aunts and stuff, and, you know, her, not really her siblings, I didn't mean to say that, but, I mean, her, her aunts and her uncles, people that she hadn't particularly seen or, or got to spend time with, and this, this gave me an opportunity to, to reflect on some things, and balance balance is is balance is something that's been echoing in my head for a long time now a balanced approach see i i i came to this realization that i had gained something out here in the, in the world while i was you know, these past couple of years of going from the kid that was tormented by his own thoughts and suicidal thoughts and, and uh, coming out of addictions that I had had because there was a time where I was addicted to alcohol. Coming out of all the things that I came out of, you know, um, I... I came out of, of dealing with the mental trauma of being, uh, of, of being sexually abused as a child, like on my own. These are things that I, that I had kind of come into doing. These are things that a lot of people didn't know about me. A lot of people didn't know that I had just kind of up and left San Antonio, you know, one day and just went off on my own little pilgrimage. You know, a lot of people didn't know that. A lot of people just thought that I just got into some trouble and just left town. It's like, no, I just... It wasn't just that. I just I, I I had to I had to find myself. You know, these are things that my mother didn't know about me. These are things that my mother, you know, never thought about me. These are things that my siblings didn't know about me. And this all this all has a point. Just 
just to get you know, let me get to it and then you're going to come across this a lot in your life you're going to come across this so many times in your life to where you had a life-changing experience you experienced something that nobody else experienced the way that you did and it changed you and people aren't going to be able to understand it it was like the it was like when i tell people the story about the time i got hit by a car like even when i told my mother that story when i came back to san antonio i, get, I got the same reaction now, my mother's a god-fearing woman she believes in god and all that but I, when I, whenever i get to the part where i'm in the ambulance and uh I don't even know if I've told this story on this podcast or not, but I guess I'll tell it, you know, just real, real, real quick story. But I was, uh, I was walking to work. I was walking to work one day. Uh, I was pissed. I found out that my, um, my then, you know, wife at the time had been cheating on me for like six years and doing like heavy drugs. And it was the reason why our money was always constantly, you know, uh, siphoning out. So I'm heading to work. I'm bitter nihilistic got my headphones on <clears throat> i'm in san antonio at the time i was working at waterburger yeah uh and uh i was you know just trying to make it work just a dad trying to make it work and uh i think this was kind of like the lowest point that i had been at in a long time but i had been I, you know i was still studying i was i was big into jordan peterson i was trying to build get, get myself out of this mental nihilistic hole that i was in and then she hit me with that news, and I was just done. I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. You know, the person that I've been working with this whole damn time has apparently been working against me this whole damn time. Uh, this person tells me they love me every day, and it's like, it's like it was like it was the last straw. Now, mind you, backstory: I brought all this onto myself. Didn't really want to realize it at the time. At the time, it was a lot easier for me to just say, hey, you know what? I really just want to die. You know, my my childhood was shit. My past was shit. I had some, you know, good points here and there in the middle. But, you know, fuck it, I'm done. You know, I, I tried everything I could try. Which is what was going on in my mind at the time. So I'm sitting there, you know, woe is me and all upset. And I'm crossing the street, not paying attention to what the fuck I'm doing. And, of course, I'm not the only one who's not paying attention to what I'm doing. There's a undergrad kid who's freaking about midterms on the other side of the, of the, of the road and his uh, blue little little Honda Civic and he's he's got all kinds of, of weight and pressure and stress on him yeah and so he's we're both you know two two paths <laughs> two opposing paths not even really opposing paths just two paths they cross at, you know and uh, at two uh possibly low points or two different points that intersected and uh, I was crossing the street wasn't paying attention to where I was going and he was driving wasn't paying attention to what he was going he turned and didn't even see me didn't even know I was there <clears throat> because his mind was elsewhere and uh, I barely saw him out the corner of my eye for a split second and something in me said jump and so I jumped onto the hood and I got like somersaulted into the air and I hit the ground and I think at the last second I kind of did a, a martial arts move called answer the phone and I tucked my right arm and 
Luckily, I don't know how I knew I was that was how I was gonna land, but I landed flush on my right side with my arm tucked behind my head. Protected my skull, I had a leather jacket on at the time. So I, I honestly took no damage from the fall. And I really technically didn't get hit. I kind of just rolled off the hood. But uh, I got like right back up as soon as I hit the ground and was like, who hit me? And uh, I remember some people rushed me and laid me back down, made me lay on the ground and uh, they called the ambulance. But the part that people always kind of pull back from me at is the part where I tell them about what happened in the ambulance. So I'm laying down in the ambulance and I'm adrenaline still rushing through me and I am pissed. I am fucking furious because I wanted to, I wanted to die. For a split second before that car was about to hit me, just before I jumped onto the hood, the word finally popped into my head. That was the nihilistic side of me, the part of me that wanted all of, it, all of this to be done, wanted it to be over. All the working, all the plans never coming through, all the, you know, bowing and scraping to get by. All of it was gonna be over. I was finally gonna get to rest. I didn't care about my daughter at the time. I didn't care about my family. I didn't care about anyone. All I cared about was all of the pain to finally be over. And interestingly enough, the EMT that was in the back of the ambulance with me, who was wearing this very shiny silver uh, rosary, uh, uh, Mother Mary rosary necklace. It was just like silver. It was, I mean, just it shined so bright. I remember when I was laying down in the, in the back of that, uh, that ambulance. It was, it, it was just so shiny that I almost couldn't see the, the 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 EMT's face. It was almost like he was an angel or something. He was just, it was just blinding the hell out of me. And he's, he looks at me and he's like, I've seen those eyes before. You're pissed. You, you wanted it to be over, didn't you? I was like, yeah. I didn't even deny it. I was just, I was real quick. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I did. And he's like, man, is it really that bad? And I was like, I don't even want to get into it, man. I just, we just sat there in silence. Well, I laid there. He sat there <clears throat> in silence. And I was furious because I had to go back. I had to go back to this bullshit of a life that I lived at the time. And so, like, I'm coming back to San Antonio. They don't know all of They don't know any of this. They don't know any of the stuff I've been through. I purposely had removed myself from my family for almost, like, ten years. And, uh... In the short time that I've been here, I've come to a realization. Now, see, <clears throat> I grew up in a very Southern Baptist home. Very Southern Baptist home, very Christian home. And there was a story. There was a story that to this day I remember and I can't forget it. And believe me, this is all gonna tie together. It's all gonna make sense. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a little bow on top of it. And you're gonna be like, damn, he did that. And I'm like, yeah, I did. So when I was a little boy, there was this evangelist that we used to always go see. He was friends of our family. And uh, we went to one of his tent revivals one time, and I remember there was this one time he told me a story. 
It was the old Indian proverb about about two wolves. There was a white wolf. It was basically a, 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 it was kind of like I guess like a like an Indian parable, and it was about the the two the two sides of you, and so like inside of, of every man is a white wolf and a, and a dark wolf, and the white wolf is is the the, the wolf of, of of temperance and honesty and, and virtue and and, and in meekness and all that stuff, you know. And then the dark wolf, of course, is the is the uh, is the nihilistic one. Is the is the trickster. Is the the vengeful one. You know the the anger, the the hate, right? The shadow. So he said, you know, the 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 wolf that rules for that day is the one you feed, and that that. that saying used to always bother me not really bother me in the beginning I wouldn't have said that it bothered me I would have said it was just weird and I can never understand why until just recently honestly see the reason why it bothered me so much then is the reason why it bothers me now is because at the end of the day both of those wolves are you so let me expand on that idea just a little bit in the in the, the Christian community, most all Christian communities, it is taboo to be angry. It's actually taboo to uh, to own weapons or to uh, not even to own weapons, but to um, to believe that you have a moral position to defend yourself. I would say, you know, especially in the evangelical circles where it's, uh, you know, meekness or, or having a meek and lowly spirit, you know, doesn't doesn't help that the uh, translation, you know, the actual you know Hebrew translation of meek is uh, uh, roughly translates to, uh, I think, uh, those who have swords and know how to use them yet keep them sheathed will inherit the earth. Yeah, that's. Uh, or, or, or um, you know, not for nothing. There's actually quite a few verses in the Bible, even ones by Jesus Christ, where it says that um, a man, if a man doesn't have a sword, he should go sell his coat to get one. But I digress. You know, there's a there's a huge uh, idea in the in the Christian in the Christian community that we shouldn't you know be violent at all. Okay. Okay, David taken out of Goliath, but okay. Chopped off his head, but okay. So anyways, in, in, in the Christian community in particular, and a lot of religious uh, uh, institutions, there is no place for violence. There's no, there's, no, there's no place for anger. None whatsoever. Okay. So let's hold on to that idea. There's no place for it. So... Carl Jung and uh, you know who coined the term you know for the for the shadow and to in the integration of the shadow. Uh, a lot of people who or anyone who doesn't know what what the shadow is or the or what I mean by the integration of the shadow, I'm going to use what I'm talking about as a perfect example to lay that out so that you understand exactly what I mean when I say it and why it's important. See. 
the reason why the the integration of the shadow i guess the the very first time that i ever i ever saw a visual a visual a visual representation of it for i guess gamer people or people who've ever played video games was a dark link or shadow link in a an ocarina of time great game was, he's probably the the hardest person you fight in the game all the way up until that point next to ganondorf uh, because he copies literally everything you do. So however you fight is how he fights, and he just mirrors you. So you have to, like, really pull off some, like, insanely crazy, unique combination just to land a hit on him. See what I said there? You have to do something different to change the outcome, because if you're going up against something that's a mirror of you, well, you have to do something that the mirrored you doesn't expect. Okay. And I'm sure someone's sitting there like, he's, he's hitting me with all these different like analogies and ideas. And they, they, they somewhat touch on each other, but they don't. I was like, all right, well, let me, let me lace them together for you then. So I said the Shadow Link idea, because when, you, when, you, when you're fighting Shadow Link, it, anyone who's ever you know, played the Ocarina of Time, and you could probably pull up YouTube videos about, about someone fighting him. If you, if you don't you know, know anything about the game, you can look up, you know, type in YouTube, type in you know, Link versus uh, Shadow Link, and I'm sure you'll come up with videos where it shows you how insanely frustrating it was fighting that little bastard because he copies literally everything you do. So, and uh, I said that to say this, Let's, let's, let's take it out of the abstract. Let's take it to something tangible, something that most anyone can relate to. Let's say that your shadow link is an addiction. Okay. Let's say that you're addicted. Let's see, on my Facebook Live, I made it alcohol. So on this one, I'll make it porn. Let's say, let's say you're addicted to porn. You have a huge porn addiction. One that probably started off as something, you know, innocent and something you did in your shame, you know, quietly in a bathroom. And then has evolved into this thing where you have to set time aside for it. You have to, uh, you have to have the right atmosphere for it. You, you even have to create a mood. You know, certain things have to be in order for you to even be able to, you know, commit the act. And now it's gotten to the point to where you're even watching things that you never, like 10 years prior, you would have never normally watched. And it's become an all-consuming thing to the point to where now, at the end of every meeting, you feel like total crap about yourself. And then, uh, let's say you've even gone a step further and you've even used it as, I don't know, uh, something that helps you to go to sleep at night or something to, uh, you know, you've rationalized it. You've, you've created a, you've created a pseudo purpose for it. Okay. You know, like I'm a guy, I've said this, I've done it. You know, I used to, I used to say that I would use it as a, as a, as a litmus test for if I was in love or not. You know, if I, if I, <laughs> if I, if I, you know, still felt the same way about the girl after the, after the act, yeah, I, I was still in love. You know, I learned that from an old man. Kind of true, but I mean, still, you know, at what cost? But 
I digress. We go back to the point. Some would say that these are two separate people or these are two separate acts. You know, the person who's addicted to uh, pornography, the, the, the person's, the, the, most people, they always try to separate the two. Most people try to separate the two. If you went to someone for therapy for it, though, they would not. They would abruptly let you know that both of those people, the person who's addicted to porn and the person who has issues with the person addicted to porn, they are both you. And, of course, that sounds like common sense, but is that how we behave? Of course not. Of course not. That is not how we behave. We don't. We're we're weird. See, the 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 game never changes. Like I've I've said many times before, it's all wretch and no vomit. The game never changes. So just like the little kid and the candy bar, like I talked about in in previous in previous talks, it's the same idea. Even with this, is that like children. We we will you, you'll sit there you know like 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 in the back of the van you know he's touching me I'm not touching you he's touching me and you got the finger your subconscious plays this exact same game with you all the damn time the difference is is that in the back of the van you can actually hit your brother or hit your sister or tell on them or something like that but see when it's inside your damn head there ain't nobody you can tell but you there ain't nobody you can hit but you. And so what happens is, is that we, 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 we don't even acknowledge that our minds fracture and that we can become different things in different situations. See, people do this all the damn time. I ask somebody, I was like, well, sis, I was like so what are you? And then, you know, you, you, you get these people like, even, even right now, me just saying, what are you? You've already probably have a, at least one word most people usually only have one word that pops into their head which is I'm a mother or I'm a father or I'm trans or, or, or I'm an animal lover or I'm a this that one thing that they believe identifies them and solidifies them as being them and what if I were to tell you that you are multiple things that you are an endless number of things and that in any given moment you could be something else Entirely. And that you've been doing this ever since the day you were born. See, we, we, don't, we don't take credence to the fact that we can be anything that we want at any given time. We, we, don't really, we don't really hold on to the beauty of that. And so even in our society, we try to put each other in boxes. We try to label each other with words. We try to overgeneralize. We try to censor. Because it's easier that way. It's easier to identify someone as this or that, as a pedophile or as a, as a, as a rapist or as a murderer or as a thief or, 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 or as a harlot or, or a whore or a, or a man-child or a fuckboy, you know, we come up with these terms and these ideas around these terms uh, to, to put a, 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 blanket, a blanket snare over 
things that we want to cordon off and and put a put a spotlight on. But we don't do that with ourselves. We don't do that with our own damn thoughts. See, I'm one of those people that I honestly believe that discipline equals freedom. And so if your mind is enslaving you or tormenting you to where you can't get things done because you're constantly dealing with stress and trauma inside your head and your mind is constantly against you, then the solution is there. Discipline your mind. Discipline your thoughts. Bring those things into subjection unto you. There's a major benefit in it. It's super important, too. I'll explain why. So like I said, this is something that I just recently, you know, recently came to the understanding of. See, me and my mother, we still have issues. Still have issues. Now, I don't have the issues. And she has issues with me. Now, the old me, how the old me would have handled it, would have been angrily and spitefully. Because it's like, it's like, how dare you? I don't need you. I don't. I, I was fine these past. This, this is just my thinking processes, or my, or my former thinking processes. Like you know, I've, 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 I've done, I've done ten years without you. You know, what's another day? You don't have to talk to me. I don't, I don't have to care about you. See, in the, in the, in the, the ideas of, of, sha- of the shadow, of the darker side of you. There's a there's a, a, a another side to it or a concept to it called shadow rebellion. It's basically where you become in love with the idea of doing the bad thing. It, it feels good to do the bad thing. You know, it's the, it's a progression. You know, it's a progression of most things. It, you know, like when like when you work out. You know, there, there's a there's a side to this on there, there's an aspect to this on both sides. You know, when you're doing something positive. You know, like working out, it feels good. It feels good to work out, especially when you're waking up and you're sore, and then a couple of weeks later, and you you've really put in your time, and you're stepping in the mirror, and you're like, "Holy shit, I'm kind of toned out." Damn, it's it's paying off. It's it's beautiful to see the payoff. You know, it's the same way with negative energy and negative shit. There's a payoff to it. You know, feels good to masturbate. It feels good to smoke cigarettes. It feels good when when you're when you're a girl and you and you feel like a whore and everyone treats you like a whore and then you go and you do whore shit. And you don't care. I know girls who've done stuff like that. And they, and they always it's, it's like, yeah, it feels good in the moment and then afterwards I feel like crap. It feels good. It feels good to to, to talk back to your parents. There's reasons why that stuff feels good. Yeah. I I um I remember Jordan Peterson said this and I, it, it it's it's true and it, it, I think he called it the, the, the I think it's called the Prado distribution or something like that. I might have I might have the wrong the wrong concept, but basically uh what I'm talking about is 
every time that you make a positive choice or a positive, uh, you know, a, a move towards the good, the chances of you making another move towards the good goes up non-linearly. But adversely, every time that you make a move towards the bad or an action towards the bad, the chances of you making another poor action uh, also goes up non-linearly. I mean, like, you, you, you can't even refute that because we've all lived it. You know, if you've ever done something wrong, you know, the first time you did it, if you had that thought, you know, man, that was pretty dumb. I probably should have never done that again. You know, you didn't do it. I know for a fact I wasn't that way about drinking and driving because when I lived in the country out in BFE, I think the very first time that I had a beer in my center console and I was drinking, I was nervous as hell. It's like, I'm sitting there thinking, it's like my luck, there's gonna be a cop that's gonna jump out one of these damn bushes. And then you're driving around down these dirt roads for about an hour, <laughs> you know, and, I, and, and, and an hour a day, damn near, and you don't ever see a cop, after a while you stop giving shits. And then, pff, you're doing it, you're doing it at 65 miles an hour. Drunk. Been there, done that. There's a progression to these things. And it all starts with you not giving a shit about the outcome. About the, about the collateral damage. Where you start going, you know, fuck what everybody else understands. I don't care. See... We say that we don't care what other people think, but we really do. I used to say the exact same thing, and every old person that I was ever around would always be wise and quick to tell me, that's a lie, yeah, you do. And I used to always be so angry, like, oh, no, I don't. I don't give a fuck what everybody thinks about me. I don't give a fuck about shit. Mm-hmm-hmm. Say it with bass in my voice. Can't say that no more. Because the truth of the matter is, if that was the case, then why do I behave the way that I do? Why don't I just walk down the street and just start smashing random people in the face when I felt like it? Why don't I just hop my happy ass uh, out on the main road uh, and, and drive to work and walk around butt-ass naked everywhere I went? It's a lot more comfortable. I would actually quite enjoy it. I have nothing to be ashamed of. Why don't I do that? Why don't I just walk up into different, you know, church denominations and call them all liars and then walk out? I can do that for a living. Why, why don't I do that? Why can't I have a business named Freckle Bitches? I like freckles. Why can't I? Because there are other people. Simple as that. There are other people. There are other people who give shits about the shit that you do. There are other people who are affected by the shit that you do. There are other people affected by your thoughts. If we haven't, if we haven't understood that after all of the crazy stuff that has happened in, our, in, in, in the past history of the world, that it really does matter about the thoughts that are going on in another man's head. 
Now, am I saying that it is important that, 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 that there should be some government entity to control these thoughts in someone else's head? No. No. This should be done at the, at the level of the individual, like most things, which is exactly what this is all about. The core of all of this is that things can be changed at the level of the individual when the individual is willing to acknowledge that there is a change that needs to be made. So how do we do that? Well, the same the way that we do with everything else. We're always trying to get to the bottom of shit. We're always trying to vet people and things like we are with the, with the whole you know, vaccines right now. Lots of people looking into these vaccines to find out what's in them and what's the effects and, and what's going to happen. Why can't we do that with ourselves? Why can't we do that with our thoughts? Why can't we do that with why we do the things that we do? Because, see, the thing about it is, is if you get down to the bottom of it, I'll even say, say it with me. The reason why I had my own personal porn addiction for as long as I did wasn't because I was lonely when I really got down to it. was that? It was because I was addicted to sex. I was addicted to the act. I was addicted to the act so much that I thought about it all the time, and that was just a source of relief for me. From the ideas, from the thoughts. But when I really nailed it down, it came to a simple understanding that it wasn't that I was lonely or that I was craving sex. It was that I still had not resolved my trauma from my childhood. I had resolved it. I just buried it. I just put it in a box and then and, and kept feeding it what it wanted, which is more sex. Because it, did, it knew I didn't want to talk. See, let, 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 let's just backtrack for a second. Like imagine, uh, let, let, let's, whatever your addiction is, whatever your issue is, whatever the thing is, that, that you don't want to face. Whatever your shadow is. Because everybody has one. Whatever your shadow is. Let's fake it. Let, let's face it right now. And let's make it a tangible thing. So while I'm talking about mine. Or, or one of mine. Because I, I, of course. You know, if, you're, if we're honest with, yourself, with ourselves. We have many shadows within us. Many, many, many shadow personalities. That activate at any given point in time. But we're only going to talk about this one. About one in particular. You know. So. Let's go back to my shadow. So my shadow, I'm facing it. I understand that it was rooted and born from my childhood trauma of, of molestation. And so it's sex-driven. Right? Now, me su suppressing it or ignoring it has done nothing but caused me to indulge in more sexual related activities. I can acknowledge that. It would be no different than, uh, than, than me not acknowledging my stress and my anxiety from not being able to have the confidence to, I don't know, manage my life well, 
that would be the reason why I smoked cigarettes for as long as I did. But I'm not talking about the cigarettes, I'm talking about the, the porn thing right now. So I'll get back to that. But let's just say that that's it. That that's, that that's, that that's the reason why I'm doing it. It's because I have not resolved my issues with my childhood sexual trauma. And so now I have. I've rectified it. It happened. There was something that happened to me. Doesn't make me a horrible person. Just makes me a victim. And there was nothing that I could have done. Because at the time I didn't know. So now I've faced that side of me. The side of me that's addicted to porn. I understand why it's addicted to porn. Because, of course, porn was a lot easier than me sitting there in that room and talking about my trauma and really fleshing it out and how I felt about it and how the, how the traumatic events made me feel. I didn't want to do that. Much rather just masturbate. Which, in comparison, is way easier. <laughs> Now, to set the record straight, I actually did do this. And for my own personal testimony, I will say that it really, really, really improved my sex life. Because in relationships, I, I, I used to be very, very sex-driven. And to the point where it became a major source of contention in my, my relationships because when I was in a relationship, I wanted it all the time. Which is, for me, it was very unhealthy uh, because it started to, to cause my partners to wonder if I was only with them because of the sex. And then it started to make me question whether I was with them only for the sex. I had to go uh, on a long stint of being single to really, to really wrestle that demon down and really understand myself and, and, how, I, and how I could actually uh, <clears throat> be in a relationship. And there was even something else that I did, which I've, I'm still doing now, where I'm actually working on fostering uh, healthy relationships with, with my female friends. You know, to where we do more than just, than just you know, uh, uh, shoot to shit. We actually talk and get to understand each other, and and I they, I talk about my problems, and then they talk about theirs. You know, like like actually having healthy relationships with women. It was it was it's it's been fun. It, it really has. It's it's been fun because I had actually come to another realization, a realization that uh, uh that I was afraid of women because of the trauma and what had happened to me because I had been molested by a girl. So. So um, it wasn't even just that, that I was infatuated with sex with women, but I was also terrified of them as well. Something that I would have never really wrestled down or nailed down or even been able to comprehend in myself if I hadn't have faced that thing. So what, so what is Devin getting at? So what, am, so what am I getting at? The reason why I wanted this one to be number seven is because seven is the number of completion. It's my favorite number. It's my lucky number. 
I, I, I actually write sevens uh, into my name. So whenever I spell like D-E-V-E-N, which is my name, I take the E's out and put sevens because I always hate it when people try to spell my name with an I or an O. It's like, no, seven, spelled like seven, just with a D. Instead of an S. But seven is my favorite number, and this one I wanted it to be uh, kind of like a, a crowning jewel for, for my podcast because I believe that it's important that you face whatever it is inside of you that you don't like. If you have a behavior that you don't like, if you have a pathology that you don't like, if you have a thinking process that you don't like, if there's something about you that you don't like, you can change it. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a matter of mind control. It's a matter of discipline. But the ability to be fluid, the ability to adapt to situations, it can only happen if you actually are at peace with yourself. That's how you become someone who's able to weather any storm, is that you have to become whole. See, a holy person is not someone who's, who's, you know, who's pious and is always does the right thing. No, no, that's all, that's all prohibition. That's all, that's all, you know, I'm not going to drink. No, no, no. A holy person is someone who's reconciled their opposites. See, remember earlier when I said that there's a place for the darkness? There is. There's an actual place for the darkness. See, there's a there's an actual there's there's a there's a space in between, you know, um, taking your boss's shit for years and never speaking up and never asking for a raise and never, you know, and and, and always showing up to work on time because you're afraid of 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 losing this crap job where you get treated like shit and you hate, but you're you you want to be a good old boy, so you're gonna show up there and you're hoping that one day. You know, everything's going to work out for you and they're going to see all of your hard work and everything's going to go. And then, the, you know, the extreme to that is, you know what, fuck this job. These guys don't care about me. I don't care about these. These guys don't even care about the work that they do. So why should I give a shit? I'm going to show up late every day and they can just kiss my ass. And when they fire me, I'll just find another job. There's a place in between that. You do realize that, right? There's a, there's a place in between. And the place in between requires you to use both wolves unfortunately it, it does it requires you to use both um, because we, I mean I'll, I'll, you can answer this wherever you're at while, you, while you're listening to this you know which if I'm going to say a few things you know and, and, you, and you say you know to yourself out loud which wolf associates with this you know anger I would say that associates with the darker wolf. Um, let's say um, temperance. Let's say temperance would probably associate with the white wolf. Uh, let's see, um, bravery. I don't know, that's a dark one, I would say, probably. Let's see, um, I don't know, let's see another one. Uh, Love. I would say love probably associate with the white wolf, wouldn't you? <clears throat> Alright. To get to the freaking core of what I'm trying to say. 
the dark wolf has just as much usefulness as the white wolf. I, I, I could explain it in a, in, a, in, a, in a higher way, but it would take a lot longer, and I don't really want to spend another hour on this. So what I want to do is I want to use, I want to use a real-life example. Real-life example, okay? I mean, and, and this, is, this works as an analogy, too. So every aspect of it you could actually apply to, to understanding your shadow and how to actually treat your shadow. See, the white wolf, let's just say, let's associate the, the white wolf with the house dog. Okay? So let's just, let's just drop the wolf title and let's, let's, let's uh, sum up the white wolf as the house dog. The lovable, inside the house, sweet, caring, you know, protecting the home, you know, good old boy house dog. Okay? Now, what dog would closely resemble the shadow, the dark wolf? Okay? Well, when I grew when I was out in the country, which is pretty much where I was, I was out in East Texas for a while. I was in uh, Arkansas for a while. It was Jacksonville, Arkansas, Hot Springs, Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. You know, I went up to Denver for a little bit. Uh, I've been I've, I've been all over, you know, a few country places. Been to Oklahoma, and uh, something the the one dog that I've always been fascinated by is is the uh, the hunting dog, the the huntsman's hunting dog. Always been fascinated by him. See. Hunting dogs aren't very, aren't very often brought up whenever people talk about dogs. Very seldom. In the country, though, out there in their territories where, where, they're, where, they're, where they're employed and used regularly, they are some of the most revered dogs. <clears throat> These are dogs that hunt other animals for a living. That's what they do for their masters. Yeah, most guys that I knew that had hunting dogs had this format. The hunting dog was not the dog that you brought inside and rubbed on the belly and, and, and played games with and took for walks and, and crazy shit like that. No, 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 no. This was a dog that was usually kept in a cage that was usually cordoned off from other living animals. Especially if this, this you know, man that owned the hunting dog had a farm. It wasn't a dog that you just let roam free. Because this is a dog that by all intents and purposes has killed or has been a party to killing other animals before. So it has tasted other animal blood before and has a taste for it and in many cases quite likes it. Some of these dogs even get fed raw meat as treats for their successful hunts. So these dogs are, are, are these dogs are not are, are not, you know, pampered spoiled house pets. They're hardened, you know, hunters. Solid killers. And whatever it is that they hunt, 
they're trained repeatedly and well to do so. These are expensive dogs. I mean, a, a, a good hunting dog costs you a small fortune. And, uh, you know, guys who want one, want a good one. And there, there are quite a few good breeds of, of hunting dogs, and they are all expensive. And they're some of the most revered dogs, you know, out there. You know, there's, there's, there's competitions for it and stuff, you know, overseas in London. You know, foxes and hounds and stuff like that. It's, 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 it's an old tradition. It even goes back to the Indians. Even the Indians did some of the same things with their hunting dogs. <laughs> but yeah, these, these, these weren't pampered house pets. These, these guys were, were savages. And, and, the, and their masters, the hunting dog masters, they didn't, want even, they didn't spend every waking moment of every day with these dogs. A lot of the times, these dogs were alone in their, in their, in their kennels or cages or, or little section off areas, you know, waiting, waiting for that day to perform. See, that was something that I realized I had to do with my shadow. I had to, to I had to lock him up. I had to lock it up. I had to put it in a cage. I had to put it in a box. Had to bring it into subjection unto me. See, this is what you have to do with a lot of stuff in your life. They get out of control. So you have to bring them under control. You have to bring them under your control. Under your mental control. And you have the ability to do it. It's just a matter of doing it. Because when you do... And you become at peace with yourself. And you develop harmony within yourself. Then, the two wolves can work together. Now, what does this look like? Well, I mean, I'm a perfect example of that. When I grew up, I was afraid of people. I was afraid to talk to people. I mean, what would you think? What would you think a kid's going to grow up thinking... If, you know, the whole first part of their life, you know, they were either beaten by adults or, or they were sexually assaulted by an adult. Of course, I was terrified. I was terrified of adults. I grew up terrified of adults. I grew up terrified of the dark. And then that terror turned into anger and rage and pain. And the shadow was born. That's how shadows are born. Shadows are born from pain. That's where the dark wolves come from. They come from pain. They come from unanswered, unrequited, uh, 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 unrecognized, unspoken pain. That's where these pathologies come from. That's where the addictions come from. That's where the broken families come from. That's where the... Uh, 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 with the with the the evil the evil behaviors the poor character flaws all of it comes from pain, every single bit of it. The actions and the pathologies are just symptoms. Symptoms of the pain. That lots of times go completely nameless and unspoken. Lots of times. And they have to find 
their own way of, of getting what they want and getting what they need. But when you see things for what they are and when you bring your mind under control, you can do things that you couldn't do prior. Like now I can speak on my own behalf. Doesn't sound like much, but to me, to someone who never felt like they ever had any agency of their own, the ability to speak on my own behalf is really, really cool to me. The ability to defend myself when I need to, when I have to. Not even just to defend myself, but the ability to defend others who need it. The ability to not be afraid to help others. Because what can you do to me that I can't already do to myself? Why must I fear you? You know? So many, so many beautiful things that I can do now because I'm at peace with myself. I'm at harmony with myself. Now, what I can do with my shadow is I can unleash it on whatever I want to unleash it on instead of letting it unleash on me. So when my boss is like, hey, you know, um, I don't think we can give you that raise, you know, because of this and this and this nonsense BS. I'm like, no, it's in my contract. We signed that. You are going to honor it or I'm going to go someplace else. How about that? And then what does the boss do? Oh, crap, uh, yeah, well, yeah, you're right, you know. But I would have never had the confidence to say stuff like that or to speak on my own behalf or to, or to sell myself or have the ability to, to, to be crafty or clever in situations where I needed to be crafty or clever if I had never gotten in tune with my darker urges and used them for my own benefit. There's a place for that stuff. There's a place for it. It's just, you have to know what they are. And you have to, to, to be unafraid to face yourself and to get yourself under control to where you can act on those things. That's the reason why I always, I always told, you know, these girls that, that or these young girls, these young guys that, that talk like they don't, like, they, like there's, just no, there's just no way out of this hole that they're in. It's like, oh man, no, it's because you're looking at it wrong. Because you haven't found your niche. You haven't found your, your path out. Everybody has, everybody has different. Everybody's lived life a different way. Everybody's seen things differently. We all have different points of view. That's why it's so important to be fluid and have the ability to adapt. Because you can learn things from other people that you can ap apply to yourself to acquire new tools to approach new problems. But if you, if you don't adapt, if you don't learn, if you don't become fluid, if you don't uh, uh, examine yourself and your behaviors, if you don't discipline your thoughts and your actions, if you don't do these things, then all you're going to be doing is giving, your, giving yourself more 
seemingly good excuses for why you couldn't and why you didn't. And everything that you do. I mean, and, and excuses are like ramen. I mean, like people love them and they're good and all, but they don't keep you fed. They don't keep the lights on. They don't. They don't get your kids into into a, a life that you didn't live. They don't. They 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 don't. They don't. They don't keep you warm at night. Excuses are just what they are. They're excuses. And and uh, that's that's all I got. That's all I got. I really. For for people who are who are struggling, you know, with uh, you know, with with shadow rebellion or shadow issues and stuff like that, you know, with with darker urges and and stuff, I highly suggest uh, meditation. I highly suggest, you know, finding someone, not even necessarily a psychiatrist, but just someone that you can sit and talk, you know, your your demons out with. Like someone that you know will actually listen, you know, objectively and, 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 you know, and we, and, and can give you some, 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 you know, proper critiques and criticism or something, you know, maybe even a psychiatrist or a therapist of some sort. But, you know, the, I, I love the research that was done on, um, on addictions. And, uh, I have to say, the answer is is connected communities. It really is, yeah. It's, it, it really is. The answer is connected communities. And how you get connected communities is is when you get it. You get people who do not care about the, the you, you you get people who care more about helping the person than shaming them for what they've done. You know, you want to be around people who want the best for you. Of course, but most importantly, and, and I, I, this is, you know, from Jordan Peterson's book, uh, 12 Rules for Life, you, you really, really, really have to treat yourself like you are someone you are responsible for taking care of. And this, this goes, goes right along with that, you know. So if you're, if you're exhibiting behaviors or things, you know, like always having to one-up people in conversations, or, or anything about you that you do that you don't like. You're the only person who can stop yourself from doing these things. But if you don't like these things, or if there's, or if there's reasons, what, you know, or, or, or I would say, if there's, if there's reason for you to take issue with this thing that you do, like even something as simple as always one-upping people in conversations, you know, there might be, a legit reason why there's a part of you that does that. Maybe it's because, you know, in elementary school or in grade school, you always felt inferior. And so now you actually know stuff. And so you want to let people know that you know stuff. There's healthy ways to do that. But I mean, if you don't ever acknowledge that you even do that, then you're just going to be that ignoring asshole that's always going around winning up and everybody in conversations. You know? I guess I finally figured out what I what I'm gonna title this damn thing because to be honest, going into it, I didn't know. But uh, self awareness. You guys have a good one.